anytime hardware is involved, uh, make sure that you get a good a good playbook and plan in place because a dollar today could end up costing you ten or a hundred dollars tomorrow for every mistake. You're listening to Over the Air, IoT connected devices and the journey, brought to you by Very. In each episode, we have sharp, unfiltered conversations with executives about their IoT journeys, the mistakes they made, the lessons they learned, and what they wish they'd known when they started. Welcome back to Over the Air, IoT Connected Devices in the Journey. My name is Ryan, and today we're joined by Jeff Morin, CEO and co-founder of Lightboxer, And we're going to be talking about the unique challenges behind building a punchable hardware slash computer. Jeff, thanks for being on the show. Uh, Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So right off the bat, let's uh, address some of the confusion behind what in the world does it mean to be building a punchable computer? Can you tell us about Lightboxer, what you guys are doing? And uh, yeah, just give us a little bit of background. Sure. Yeah. So Lightboxer, it's packed a lot of technology. It's an at-home fitness product. But basically, we're sitting at the the crossroads of fitness, music, and gaming. And so what Lightboxer is, is it's this hardware that delivers workouts similar to um, having a sparring partner in your home. So there's this shield with a bunch of sensors on it and over 200 LED lights that show you when and where to punch. And so what we're trying to do is fuse a bunch of elements of gaming So you think of like what makes gaming so addictive and what makes it fun and something that you want to do when you're when you're at home and chilling out and then fuse that with fitness, which we all know is healthy, but sometimes sucks. And putting those two together to get this fusion that delivers, I call it like like the sport mentality, right? What makes something so fun that you want to do it with your buddies and do it for a couple hours a day or whatever and and that Essentially, we're trying to hack people's brains so that they make working out a habit and something that they actually want to do. So we've, we use boxing as our core, core modality because boxing is one of the best workouts per unit time. You have to pay attention or else you're going to get punched in the face um, in the real world. So with, with Lightboxer, time kind of just melts away and you, you really lean into the music. And we especially in our programming, music is everything. Uh, we have a unique partnership with Universal Music Group where we're allowed to use any of their music and everything that is done on Lightboxer is to the beat of songs. And it's all stuff you hear on the radio. It's the newest stuff that's out there that's dropping every week. I mean, we fuse that and we, we put choreography behind the workouts, whether it's a trainer-led workout where the trainer showing you when and where to punch, how to stand, giving you tips and kind of motivating you. Or the other way we can work out with people is through quick play. And in that mode, which is very unique to Lightboxer, you can actually select the song that you want to, to box to. And then you get scored on your timing and accuracy and force. Um, and you can use that to kind of challenge friends and challenge the community. And it, it's definitely an additional layer that allows people to have more freedom of choice and more interactivity. So I follow up question for you. We've gotten really familiar with you guys' product, huge fans. I think what you guys have built is really cool. Um, if you're listening out there, take a look. The way that they've built lights and music into it, I think, is a very interesting product. But one of the things that we hear a lot on consumer-grade hardware is the size of the investment. Even if people think they understand upfront, 
it's probably beyond even that. If you were to go through, like if you were to sit down with someone and they were saying, hey, Jeff, I'm uh, considering, I've got this idea, we've got a prototype, we're about to take it to the next level. Like what are some things that you think somebody, that a person should be thinking about before embarking on developing a hardware product in the consumer space? Yeah, so with hardware specifically, I think it's a totally a totally different game. You'll hear, you know, the the overplayed hardware is hard mantra, but like um, it really is because you must plan way far in advance. Like there's a lead time to every segment within the supply chain. And basically like unlike software or a SaaS product where you can just like your users can be your testers and you can cut stuff up and, and change, change code that changes look or feel overnight. Um, with hardware, you are making decisions for months or sometimes years down the line that will affect your users. So there's way more, I'd say, planning and definitely more planning involved and capital as well that needs to get tied up, right? So with hardware, there's tooling investments. You have to understand the supply chain and logistics that uh, might not be as clear or simple as you might think. So I think making sure that you have this product market fit, which is super important, and that you understand the needs of your customer beforehand is really important. And then allowing yourself room, like, so we're, we have software that runs on our hardware. So any of our shortcomings, we want to make sure that we can, we still have that quick turn software side that we can, we can change stuff on um, later on. But um, in general, I just say anytime hardware is involved, uh, make sure that you got a good, a good playbook and plan in place. Cause a dollar today could end up costing you 10 or a hundred dollars tomorrow for every mistake. I want to unpack that that playbook idea and and also talk about the fundraise process. I we that is a brutally difficult process. I we hear it all the time at very, you know, we're only dealing with companies on the other side of having done it. So we only talk to the folks that have had that have had a successful outcome, but we hear about the process. I know that only a small fraction of VCs are interested in that space. Can you talk about your journey a little bit and, and what it was like to raise funds versus, you know, I, I'm sure you have friends that started SaaS companies. They've met with, you know, probably a small fraction of the number of venture capitalists and got more money much more easily. Like, what was it like for you? For me, I was actually really fortunate. My co-founder, Todd Dagris, he is a VC guy. He started um, Spark Capital, which is a very successful Boston-based uh, VC company. So he he kind of already had a playbook. And I'd say he he was the founder who had the finance and backing side down already. And he reached out to me as like the tech guy saying like, hey, I have this idea. Let's build it. And so I like over the past four or five years, I've been able to learn, learn from, from one of the greats. And um, he's kind of shown like, hey, we got to like figure out that product market fit. Like let's make some, let's make some stuff. Let's throw some spaghetti on the wall, see what sticks um, and then put that back in the pot and like make more of it and more of it and, and refine this idea. And as we were building Lightboxer, it was definitely, it was one of the most organic product developments that I've ever been a part of because we were trying to meet this need where Todd was, Todd is actually a boxer and he tried doing it at home and he, it sucked. And he was like, there's gotta be something better. And like what makes working out fun, we kept adding these layers of motivation on top of each other. 
And that kind of guided us uh, along this path of what we're building today. But we didn't have a vision of, of Lightboxer as it is, like, this is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to come out to be. And when you don't have a super clear vision, you can you can spend money and burn money really fast, right? Like, if you just said, like, I think this is just what it should be. Let's kick off tooling and do it. That's not good. That's not the right path. Um, so what we did was very nimbly and and conservatively like built prototypes, tested them out, made sure it worked, it felt right, and like you know you, Ryan, you're always talking about like that sparkle or like the intensity sparkle in your eye. Like when you have a user step on and like you have that aha moment, that's what you're looking for, and it doesn't come right away. It's, right, it takes it takes some time, and I think we were able to find that. Uh, in a few different places, which is when we we really knew we had something special. Do you think that, you know, uh, you've mentioned a lot in the pre-interview and then again today, this relationship with uh, your partner, Todd, and that that gave you some pretty big tailwinds. So like wind at your back in the fundraising process. Would you discourage, do you think, someone from developing a consumer hardware product if they did not have pre-existing relationships. Do you think you got, you would have been successful if you would have needed to go start this from scratch, the the fundraise side? Yeah, I think, I definitely think it can be done. Like people do it all the time. And there's a lot of tools out there to help, right? Like um, Y Combinator, for example, they have like amazing, amazing uh, guides on like, how do you raise capital? Like, where do you find these angels? Same thing with like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. I like, I know like a lot of people have been burned by those, but it's also a great way to like, test the product market fit and make sure that people are vibing with your idea, right? Like my friend just launched this measurement tool. It's called Recon Tools. And he did that on Kickstarter and Indiegogo, made sure he had a great following. And then and then he got the capital to to create that, the tooling that he needed, right? And he kind of like brought his most excited users through this journey of him building it. And those like, those people who backed him are like, going to be super enthusiastic, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not, they're like, I believe in this idea and I want to see it success. So I've done, I've done Kickstarters in the past for other ideas and stuff. And so it definitely can be done. There's also like not being ashamed to like ask friends and family for money. Like it's a tricky, it's definitely a tricky place. You want to make sure that you're not just like taking advantage of folks, but also like that both sides are making out in the deal, right? So um, when you're ready to go there, it's it's always an option and something to consider for sure. Yeah, I think the the friends and family round is really hard for a lot of people. Um, in fact, mm-hmm. I think if it's not hard for you, that is its own signal that like you may not be <laughs> taking it seriously enough. But you might be an asshole. <laughs> yes, you might be. You might be an asshole if you are you know, taking money, like your parents, I think a lot of parents are like willing to write off a 50 K one time thing. Like, okay, Jeff had an idea. We took the shot, whatever. But man, when you get into like the aunts and uncles and kind of the like outer perimeters of your, they are not going to easily forget the time that they put 50. Like you're going to be hearing about that for many Thanksgivings. And I, I, when I talk with entrepreneurs, you know, I'm like, do not go out to a friends and family round until your game is really tight because it's not that the 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 funds are difficult to raise they may be difficult but that's not the point it's that like you will see these people for the rest of your life and you want to make sure that you took 
the best shot you could possibly do. You did everything you could to de-risk this thing and hit it hard. Because for a lot of people, like you can only do a friends and family round just that one time, you know, and then the combination of like shame and fundraising fatigue uh, really does not set up for like a fresh round if you didn't return the first round. Did did you guys do a friends and family round at Lightboxer? Um, so Todd, I mean, he's he's well connected. So like we we brought in some other investors that he had had participated in other companies with him before. So I'd say my friends and family were not as um, you know, influential. <laughs> Uh, well, and now I, you guys are you guys are wildly successful now. So now the friends and family is going the other way, and they're saying, "Hey, where was my opportunity to invest in this? Why didn't you? Are you have you had some of that?" I've had high school friends like, "Hey, man, I wanted to put some money in. Like, why didn't I get? To, why didn't I get to do it? You never gave me that chance." But yeah, like it's the same thing. Like hiring families. Like, how do you hire? Like, it's not about the hiring. Sure, I'll give anyone a job, but then when you're like, okay, now we need to. You can't fire your family, right? So um, you, you don't want to let them down. So yeah, I agree with you 100%. You want to make sure that it's rock solid and that you're ready You're ready yeah. for that. But the the family thing is really interesting. And and now we're totally off script. So, I'll, but I'll, you know, at Very, you, that was a mentality shift that we had to make culturally was like stopping saying this phrase, you know, we're like a family because it's true. You, you really cannot fire family. You can't fire your mother. You can't fire your father, uh, or, you know, as much as you might want to. I don't know. I guess maybe Britney Spears is actively trying to. And if you're listening to this too far in the future, that's a funny joke in July 2021. <laughs> Let's see. I don't know if that will be at all funny in a few months, but it's funny now. Um, and, you know, we really think of it and talk about it more as a tribe and this idea that people have a specific job. And that like they are part of a community and, and we view it as an important community and we take our community seriously. But, you know, people are there's a requirement that they be great at the the task that they do They're The thing that they do within our tribe is is that like, did you guys get into some trouble in the early days? Like, it, it, was this family thing a lesson you had to learn by touching the stove and burning your hand? Or like, how did you get to this place? at Lightboxer. I don't think it's, we don't, I think it's just a personal thing. Like you said, like I wouldn't want to have to fire my brother. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like there's like a tribe, everyone has a role, a family. You can just be a brother and right. like, yeah. a jerk and uh, like <laughs> eat by your mother will always love you, but that's not how it works when like, when there's money on the table and you have to, you know, you have to get returns for those people that like believed in you and put, put money in. It's not about it's not about handouts. It's about producing something that is, is of value. So let's talk about the most important thing. The Holy grail, every tech company is constantly searching for. And, and if they have it fighting to maintain the elusive product market fit. Uh, so if you're, if you're hearing this for the first time, first of all, welcome to technology companies, product market fit in my view is more important than everything else combined if you have it, nothing else matters. And if you don't have it, nothing else matters. Can you talk about in a consumer hardware product, you talked a minute ago about like the sparkle, like you're iterating, iterating, iterating until you like deliver that sparkle moment for the user. What did that look like for Lightboxer? And um, feel free to like share some of the stories of, I don't know, what's the opposite of sparkle? Dead-eyed user feedback. <laughs> like, hey, this does not do it for me. You know, what did you guys get wrong? What did it start to look like as you were getting it right? Over to you. 
we definitely had a lot of lackluster moments, especially my wife can attest. She's like, what <laughs> yes. are you doing? Spouses can be so <laughs> honest. I mean, it's or, like that they're a critical part of the whole process, but it's yeah. also brutal in the moment. Oh yeah. Um, so I'd say like early on, we knew we wanted music and we knew we wanted like this thing you punch. And like, when you think of boxing, the first thing you think of is a heavy bag, right? Like, and that we have other competitors that have stuff that's heavy bag based, but we found like, we were trying to wrap electronics and like sensors and stuff onto a heavy bag. And that was difficult for a, a few reasons. The shape is like, you don't see like computers again, going back to punching computers, you don't see many like circular computers but also just to be able to do that there's a lot of a lot of things you have to do in manufacturing processes whether it's special connectors or special pcbas and um, for us for a product that you're punching all day and various degrees product reliability is like core tenant number one right we need to make sure we hit that right so i'd say another thing was like that the idea of sport that I talked about earlier and like feeling that like what we have this thing called the flow state, we're trying to get our users to the flow state. And that's where your ability meets the challenge that's presented. And when you get that right and you're like, you're, you feel like you're in the zone and you're like skating and having this good vibe, like that moment is a spark in its own. And so early on we had like, we had lights that were flashing to the beat of the music but there, it was hard to like get to that that flow state because there was no way to like practice and get better. It was more reactionary. Like, how quick can you move and like react to those lights and flashing? Even though they're synced to the beat of the music, it was hard to describe. So when we came up with the ideas of like these runway lights that show you when and where to punch, now there's some skill behind it, and that's where like that was like one of the first aha moments we had. Like, we can make this more sport like, just like you practice or you can see someone coming down the court and you know where to go next. That's what kind of like those lights are, are doing for our users. And it's like, just like a sparring partner telling you, calling out where to punch and stuff. So say that was a big moment. And then like, I'd say one of the biggest like sparkle moments for me was like, we went to a video game conference, actually PAX East in Boston. And we had two very early prototype light boxers. And we were in the section called the Indie Mega Booth, which is basically where like, people who make video games at home, like might display some stuff or indie developers. And so here we are across from Oculus and, and Nintendo and uh, Sony and everyone. And like, we had these two light boxers and people came there dressed up in, in cosplay outfits like Mario and Luigi and Princess Peach coming down to punch this thing. Um, and they did not come to work out. They came to play like fun video games. And we like got a couple of people on there blasting some music and they like, you could see they put the gloves on, they had sparkles in their eyes. They started punching this thing. They get back right back in line and they wanted to do it again and again. And it was so cool because like, again, like these people didn't come to work out, but they were just like, this feels so good. I like, I'm excited to be like standing, moving. And it was like, it was clicking with them. You will not see me in many photos there because I was under the table soldering the devices (laughs) as they were as people were punching them, I remember like I like I'd hear some big dude like start smashing the prototype, and I'd be like, "Oh gosh, I got to solder another one." So I'd say for like four days, I learned I got really upped my soldering skills in terms of uh, for 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 fixing these things. But that was super cool, and it, like I think for both Todd and myself, that was like our actual like this we've hit product market fit. Like these customers 
who you never think we call we actually call them in our own decks the the uninspired right people who don't work out every day maybe they go for they say they go for a run once a month or something but like if we can make something that these guys want to use then people who actually do want to work out like they're going to love it even more right so that was definitely the biggest aha moment and like kind of guided a lot of our decisions from there in terms of like where we went next with the product and the programming yeah it's funny the like how product market feels it or when you hit when you hit that that fit moment you know where it really clicks like you can hear an audible like clicking into place it feels a little bit like a concert like a party you know things feel light they just work and you're and and just like a party especially if you're hosting the party there's a lot of shit going wrong behind the scenes you know like the kit you know you're, you're trying to like get the food out on time and do the whatever and then how it looks often is also as you described like people are really engaging with the thing and what you're hearing a lot is I can't get this anywhere else. This does a thing for me that nothing else does for me. Because if if they're like, hey, this is just like X, but it's less expensive, like that's cool. But now you're kind of in a different game. Now you're it's like a, a cost competitiveness game. But you know what the, the really powerful product market fit is often like I'm getting a thing or experience that I cannot get any other way. And I can see that with your product. So you guys are uh, obviously a hardware product. You take software incredibly seriously and you've created some skills around music and lighting and and so forth. And so I have some core competency questions in a second, but for now, talk about like leaving yourself the room to make iterations as you learn. So you you ship a million units or whatever and you learn some, like how do you, what does it look like to, for a company that, got to ship hardware, cannot easily ship updates, and yet you want to leave yourself room, like uh, meaningful upgrade paths in the future. How do you guys think about that? Like we're always listening to our users and we're getting feedback. Like even at the end of a workout, we ask like, did you like this? Um, or where did, like if you check out, where did you hear about this? But then we have like product managers on the team that are actually calling our customers and like getting feedback of like, what's your favorite thing about Lightbox or what's the thing you hate about it, right? And like bringing up those like powerful emotions that um, can kind of guide what we're working on next. We have like a strong desire to be like a household name, like, hey, I Lightbox today and like owning immersive fitness. And so it's like, how do we do that? How do we like push the boundaries on what we're building to, to make sure that no one else can like step into our ring? no pun intended, but, um, but like basically saying like, how do we push our own boundaries to own like where we want to grow and like where we see the market going. And I think just like we change like the genres of music to, to meet our customers and who's purchasing, like maybe our early customers really loved Bon Jovi and our like later customers like ASAP Rocky way more like, right. So there's this balance in terms of like how we, meet the needs of everyone like you can't if you try to serve a bunch of masters you're not going to you're not going to be the best at any one of them right so like you have to pick a lane that you know you can own and that you know you can be the best at i I, what's the saying it's like being different isn't always better but the best is always different right so like there's a reason why 
there's some like the, there's a reason why the best is like the best, right? And so like you have to own that lane, and you might not be good at something, but um, you definitely get other stuff. That's a perfect segue to the last topic that I wanted to ask you about. It's it's something that like we're really passionate about. It very, and it's often the thing that people come to us to try to solve for this idea of what I call the wrong side of impossible, you know, so to be different, technically different. So your for your product to be technically different, you have to have solved something that started on the wrong side of impossible and you figured it out and your product is the thing that does the thing. And, you know, because it's up impossible up to that point, like it's usually pretty hard. I have a lot of questions on this, but to start with, is there a problem that or problems that you feel like you guys had to address or have addressed um, that started on the wrong side of impossible? Yeah. I mean, I think going back to that product reliability and like punching a computer screen, like um, like we wanted to make something that is durable. Like the, la- the last thing you want is like, yeah, this thing breaks. Cause like that bad review early on is like the worst thing. It can like kill your company. So like, as I was saying, like with like the PAX East where I was soldering, like that sucked, but I definitely learned how not to make the product. So I think you look at Lightbox and you're like, why does it look like this, right? Like why is, it looks like something out of like an Alien vs. Predator movie sometimes. And I think like that's probably one of our biggest hurdles is educating people like why it's better and why it looks the way it does. But a part, the other part of that is like it does that too, not because it just, we think it looks cool, but um it, it, it fills a reason of like having a, a curved circuit board where you're having a lot of like LEDs pop up, pop off or like another reason. Another thing is like, oh, having a board with a bunch of connectors, you think like, OK, you have this repeating set six segments with like four sensors and a runway of LED lights. You say any engineer would say like, OK, you should just have like repeat that for economies of scale, six of them and just have a connector where they all connect in. For us, we learned like, oh, we needed to make a giant PCBA. Probably the biggest PCBA like I've ever seen. Actually, I went here. <laughs> so like, this is a giant board, and anyone would be like, "Yo, that's so dumb! Like, why would you make a board that big? Um, that's a really expensive, and it just like you could shrink it into like six segments." But we learned that connectors are really expensive, and connectors are also like the most most likely place to fail for, for sure. Um, and so when we were developing this thing, we, we, we learned to stay away from that kind of stuff. And the same thing with the programming and the software, there's a lot of, you think it should be done one way and then you just have to adjust. And so now, and then we, then we had additional benefits like punching a curved surface, maybe punching bags. Also, we're trying to solve this thing. Like how do we make something that someone could punch? And so they just like made a curved, curved cylinder. Turns out like, punching a curved surface is not really great for your wrists because like every punch you're kind of rolling. So for us now we have this benefit of like way less injuries and, and it's, it's a much better punching experience. And we hear this from, from some of the pro boxers that try it out as well. Wrong side of impossible. Got to have a strong team. You're doing a thing, a hard thing, never been done thing, but you're also searching for product market fit at the same time because you haven't quite landed there. It's elusive often in the early days. How do you, how did you guys think about building out 
the core team. So you're saying, hey, we, we think we're going to do something that looks and feels like this, a punchable computer that serves this boxing market. We're not exactly sure where music and lighting and these things fall into everything, but like broadly, we have a pretty good idea. How did you guys think about core competencies slash the core team versus, okay, here's some areas that are very important, but we're not going to be excellent or we're not going to be able to be excellent. So we're going to find a strong partner in those areas. How, how did Lightboxer think about team in the early days and core competencies? Yeah, I think so team, you need to have a team you can trust because you can't do everything. Um, and so like, I think we were Todd and I were lucky because we we're so different that we both fit like, like kind of fit like puzzle pieces, like places I'm, I'm deficient. He like, catches up and it vice versa. So I think that was like having a strong co-founder and having like being able to form an A team early on that also fits. Right. So I'm a tech guy. Mechanical is my background. So like, obviously the first two next hires are like a software guy and an electrical engineer. Right. And so building out a team to <laughs> in areas that maybe you aren't so strong in, but can trust other folks, like kind of obvious. Uh, but at the same time, like, looking at what are, what is the product we're building, right? So we're building a media company because we have all the, the mark. Um, we have all this content and music and video of trainers and stuff. So that is one area that I have no experience in. Um, and then we also have like, we have the software, the software, there's three products, hardware, software, and digital content. So like basically having leaders in each of those groups that own it. Uh, but then like, there are other places like, like, where like you're saying you have to lean on folks that maybe you can't even afford. So like we did a lot of contractors that we eventually hired. And like, so for like our music attorney, for example, like she's, she's an expert in navigating those kind of the landscapes of like not getting sued. Right. And just like finding people you can trust in these, these things and saying like, okay, like we can't afford you full-time, but we'll hire you like 10 hours a week or something. And we just need to give us a roadmap that is smart. And then we'll like, we'll fill it in the best we can. And so I think that's like a big thing that we did very nimbly so that we didn't just like burn all this money up front. Like we know we're, we know we're deficient here. We'll hire some contractors um, and make it work that way. One of the, you know, I interview a lot of people here on the program and one of the uh, trends I've noticed is there's really two kinds of founders of uh, hardware tech companies. One is very nose down, focused on their own product. You know, the world could be blowing up around them and they're like, light boxer is where my 100% focus is. And then you have these like, uh, I guess I would call them like industry enthusiasts. And they are very aware of the ecosystem and what other companies are up to. And maybe they see people at trade shows and so forth. And they say, hey, you know, you know, they know people in some of these adjacent spaces that also make consumer products. Which one would you say, like, how, how do you think about it? How is Jeff looking at the space? And if you're that, you know, I guess, regardless of which type you consider yourself, is there a product or company, you know, in the consumer IoT world that you're a fan of out there? Um, that, that Especially like bonus points, if it's one nobody's talking about. Um, I think I've morphed. So I think early on, um, I was like the heads down, like the world could explode. And like, I was just like, I have to build this thing. We have to get it out there. And I was just like thinking of tooling and all this, like making sure we got it right. 
when we hit that like product market fit moment, like I had to switch gears and like, like put my marketing cap on and marketing is like the biggest spend by far. If we want to be the company we know we can be, we have to like get out there in the wild. And so I've had to definitely switch my hats, make sure that we're doing that. We're spending that money correctly. So it's definitely changed. I think as we come out with other products, it will probably keep going back and forth. And I hope that like my team can support that. Other products, I mentioned my my friend's um, recon tools. He's got like this M1 caliber, which is, I think was so the coolest thing. It's this um, this device that really, it's like tape measures haven't changed forever. And this is like a digital tape measure that goes on a miter saw and it's super cool and um, bringing technology to a space that it hasn't been super tech conscious, I guess. Um, like that kind of stuff hasn't changed in a long time. So I think that kind of stuff. And as I mentioned, like he's, he kind of bootstrapped it, did it through Kickstarter and it's, um, it's a really cool product. A bigger company that I, I love and I get made fun of a lot for talking about it is like Ryobi tools, which is like, you know, they're not like, it's not like you think of like people are, can be very snobby with their tools and like, oh, I'm DeWalt or Milwaukee guy or whatever. I like just having like a tool for any, that moment when you like, oh shit, I wish I had this tool. And so like, they always are coming out with goofy, funny, like different product lines. But the best thing is like the batter, the batteries that they have, like all work across all the different tools. And I ended up using a lot of their batteries on my kids, like power wheels and stuff and like doing home projects with them and hacking them into stuff. And they just built so well, like I can, instead of buying a new power battery, I just like wired in like one of the 18 volt batteries. And then that, that runs the kids power wheels and I can quickly swap them out. So I think it's wow. like, if, if Luke was on the show today, we do not uh, recommend that you get into power tool battery packs and start DIYing. But uh, yeah. So DeWalt users out there, you are on notice. Ryobi oh, is going to hate, uh, hate. Haters are going to hate right now. The haters are going to hate because this for, especially for a certain type of dad, you know, this is like a very passionate subject that the world will never agree on. But, um, and I just, I just wanted to give a shout to recon. So, uh, this is recon R E E K O N. I had to look them up just now, but if you're out there in TV land and you want to learn about a new product, they are our shout of the day. Uh, Jeff, we're, we're way over time, man. This has been an awesome interview. If folks out there, want to keep up with you and the Lightboxer story, How what, what's a good way to do that? All our handles are just at Lightboxer. So check us out on Instagram. Actually, we, we're TikTok, very focused on TikTok, surprisingly. We've seen a lot of trends um, getting built in the TikTok world, which if you asked me if I would say that six months ago, I'd say you're crazy. But yeah, at Lightboxer or, or find us on lightboxer.com and, uh, and check us out. Okay, so if you are out there and you are over 50 years old, locate a millennial. They will help you navigate TikTok. And Lightboxer is spelled L-I-T-E, not L-I-G-H-T. L-I-T-E Boxer. Jeff, it's been awesome, man. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, we appreciate you being here today. Thanks a bunch. Appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys on the internet. You shouldn't have to worry about IoT projects dragging on or unreliable vendors. You've got enough on your plate. The right team of engineers and project managers can change a pivotal moment for your business into your competitive edge. 
Barry's close-knit crew of ambitious problem solvers, continuous improvers, and curious builders know how to turn your ideas into a reality, on time and up to your standards. With a focus on mitigating risk and maximizing opportunity, we'll help you build an IoT solution that you can hang your hat on. Let's bring your IoT idea to life. Learn more at verypossible.com. You've been listening to Over the Air, IoT, Connected Devices, and The Journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player and give us a rating. Have a question or an idea for a future episode? Send it to podcast at verypossible.com. See you next time.